I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is episode 107 of Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And Marjorie, today the theme is influence everything. (laughs) Oh God, you've been on Instagram. (laughs) Oh man, we are talking about influencer culture, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we have a great guest today who has such a fascinating perspective about being an influencer, having it sort of catch up with her and losing her identity in it, and then figuring out how to re-enter the social media space in a really healthy way. I think these are things that we're going to love learning about and we're going to really take with us because in our nests, Marjorie, our devices, our tons devices. of devices. And so we're allowing so many people's opinions and agendas into our homes and into our hands all the time. Well, our homes and then into our little children's brains. Yes. I feel how it's influencing me. And I have a pretty strong core, Elizabeth. I kind of know who I am. I can't imagine how that plays in a young person's brain. Well, and you have to, it's an interesting thing if that idea of just living life as an influencer. So now let's have a full disclosure. I would probably be considered an influencer. You are. I have relationships with brands that I promote on my social media. Now, it's this is sort of an extension of my job on television, which I have clients in television and radio that I promote all the time. Yeah, that's that's kind of like the OG influencer, right? Is right. TV and and especially radio DJs oh who my are like, gosh. "Hey, well, we go buy what- a car at Maury Chevrolet," right? And you know, and the beauty of what we what I used to do in radio was we could talk about the products and the people that we really believed in. And so when I would have a client, it was somebody that I really felt okay saying, hey, these are good people. Go there. I enjoyed that part of the job. It's ramped up and amped up about a million percent through social. And it gets different when it's in social media and it's individuals not also representing a company because then you're putting so much more of yourself into it. And so I think that's where the boundaries get a little blurry. Okay. So we're going to bring in Sarah Bartlett. Sarah Bartlett is so great. She is the one guest on Twin Cities Live, Marjorie, who said, I'm going to step back and I don't want to do segments anymore. And then I begged her to come back. And she did it. And it was great. So since 2012. So you were an influencer. I influenced her to influence me. That's exactly what I did. Sarah Bartlett has been sharing her enthusiasm for makeup, skincare, and hair care on Twin Cities Live. She is she is the girl that you want next to you in the beauty aisle of the drugstore because she's tried everything. And she will tell you. We do a segment even when she throws stuff in the trash. (laughs) She's like, keep this trash this. Uh, I love that. But Sarah also spent a decade as a plus size fashion blogger. She's married to her husband, Dan, and they have this really cute little shih tzu dog named Gravy. And Sarah is is here with us. And I'm just so delighted, Sarah, that you wanted to talk about this. Nice to hear from you, Sarah. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Marjorie. Thanks for having me. Oh, we love it. Okay. So let's start with influencer culture. It's sort of like the wild, wild west out there. So I know, Sarah, that you have a perspective that is there's a lot of good and there's a lot of tough. Where do you stand on influencer culture? Yeah. So I started out as an influencer back in a more pure time on the internet. So back in 2007, before it really was a thing about being a content creator who got paid for for doing this as a job. I think that 
influencer culture has a lot of wonderful things. It's really brought about accessibility in messaging, diversity in representation. Yeah. It's democratized messaging, especially for women, which I think is so important. I think that's um, true. But Yeah, but I think that we're also just now becoming aware of what the rush around sharing your feelings and thoughts about absolutely anything can actually have on the impact of your mental health when you have people weighing in on, on your opinions and when you're consuming other people's thoughts and opinions 24-7 and when your own self-esteem hinges on how many people follow you, how many people like what you have to say or like the, the image that you're presenting on social media. It's so true. And it really is. I love your points about the good things because I think when you talk about the pure time, that's when you can go back and go, this is really exciting. Because frankly, in mainstream advertising and marketing, there was not a lot of diversity, whether it came to ethnicity, gender, gender. weight, all of those things, sexuality, all of those things. I mean, now there's more diversity in those things. But I think that's a direct response to influencer culture, that it was like oh, definitely. mainstream advertisers and marketers started seeing influencers who actually represented people, well, and not just models, going oh my gosh, we need to do this. I think what it represented as well was something I think you and I, Elizabeth, lived in what might be perceived as old school media, which is niche marketing works. When you know exactly who you're targeting your message to, that can be very successful. And I think that's what fuels influencers. It's niche marketing to the extreme in that Somebody very specific is talking about something very specific to a very specific audience. Yeah. And that can be very, very profitable. And I think that was just harder in mainstream media to do. You sort of had to cast a wide net. Now you don't. And I think that's that's what's made marketing particularly tricky, but also you get these success stories that come through. My Sometimes my issue with influencers, though, and I, I love that you said, Sarah, that you were from a more maybe a purer time <laughs> in the influencing culture. What's interesting, I think, and what's happened is a lot of the messaging is paid. I have nothing wrong with people making money in an honest, good way. That's fine. If you're going to use your voice to talk about a product and somebody's going to pay you to do that and you're clear about it, that's not a problem. What's weird is I work in the foodie space. And so there are all these foodie influencers. And so they'll go to restaurants and they'll write about their experience at a restaurant and they'll talk about the food. But they've gone and they've accepted a free meal or they're accepting some sort of favor in exchange and they only they may only go to the places that are going to give them free food, which gives a really skewed view of what's going out there. And those people might have like 20,000 followers, but they're only going to the places that are giving them free stuff. And so that's that's where it all gets really weird to me is because I don't think it's inaccurate. And maybe this is sort of the journalist in me that's still like, well, that's not accurate. So I just have trouble with all of that part of the culture. Okay, so Sarah, that's, I mean, in the, you were in the beauty field and the beauty realm, and so there was free stuff coming at you all the time. So what, what was your experience like with that? Right, well, I think that it's important to remember that, especially within the beauty industry, that none of this is new. So I think that I, I remember when the FTC regulations came out of you need to disclose any sort of sponsorships or partnerships that you have with brands that 
you've received free product or that you are being paid in some way to promote content or a specific product. And that was really revolutionary in the blogging space, Instagram. And it is something that I think a lot of content creators still struggle with. They feel like, oh, if I'm if I am that transparent, people will think that I'm just pushing product. Yeah, but right. that has actually I mean, that has existed within the magazine space forever. Yeah. I know true. that when I was true. thirteen years old and reading Sassy magazine, I didn't sassy. realize that the Bonnie Bell lip gloss that was being pushed at me was a paid advertisement. I thought it was the cool beauty editors just telling me something that I needed, but yeah. it wasn't. It yeah. was still a transaction. That's fair. That's yeah. totally fair. Yeah. yeah, that is fair. And I think the importance of delineating that is is a big deal. I mean, I've seen foodie influencers, Marjorie, get their account shut down. And then have to go back in and then are very clear about what is an ad and what isn't. And we, you know, I, I hashtag TCL partner on every single thing that I do with any sort right. of and that's advertiser. Enough. And that's enough. That's all you have to do. Yeah. Just add, you have to do hashtag, right, Sarah, hashtag sponsored, hashtag SP, hashtag partner, any kind of that thing like that. Right. 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 Yep. You need to make sure that a percentage of your audience will clearly understand that what you're sharing with them is part of a a paid partnership with somebody else. What's tricky, though, is what I think is the idea. I grew up and I knew I never wanted to be an influencer. I never thought even Mm -hmm. that one didn't even exist. I just wanted to work in media. And I worked in news for so long that I never even remotely thought about doing advertisements because there was no way that was even ethically possible. Now it is the goal of high school kids is to become an influencer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Let's just isolate that reaction. Oh my goodness, Sarah Bartlett. That is very funny. Very funny. Okay. So you, sh- that reaction I think shares your take on it, but expand on that. Yes. Yes. That was perfect. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say, I, I'm not going to say that I don't, that I think that's a bad thing. It is a viable way to make money and to be creative and to participate in a way of being part of the economy. It's absolutely yes. a viable way to do that. Yeah. Um, I think that I just I think that my message and the way that I feel about it in my part of this journey is that you don't need to get trapped into feeling like you have to participate in that. That was certainly uh, an evolution of where I came from as a blogger and how I left Twin Cities Live and then came back around to it was realizing that it's not it wasn't great for me and it wasn't great for my self-esteem and as I got older I realized I don't need to be part of that hustle culture which is absolutely perfect for some people like I said it wasn't for me and as I got older I'm realizing in a lot of areas of my life quite frankly that I can take the things that I like and then I can let go of the other things that I don't right so I can come on Twin Cities Live and I can throw products in the trash (laughs) and tell people what I like but I don't have to be chasing the numbers on Instagram and I don't have to be looking at Google Analytics 14 times a day to see what my numbers are like on my website. So I think there is a balance. There is space for everyone, which I think is great, going back to the idea of the inclusivity of social media and what that can mean for people who want to participate. But it's not for everybody and it's okay if it's not for you. And tell me about that. You you mentioned that you had to step back because it had an effect on your self-esteem. Were people coming at you? 
Is that is that what was affecting your self-esteem, or was it, oh, I only got five likes today, I didn't get a 1,000? No, so I, I, I was fortunate. I had a really supportive, wonderful community around me um, on my social media channels. I never had so-called internet trolls coming at me. Good, I have them. They're the worst. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) they are. Yeah. No, if anything, I was coming at myself. I was being really hard on myself. I was always thinking that I was less than. I was comparing myself to everybody else. And I just never felt really comfortable with the idea of letting a brand associate value to me. Mm. Um, say you're not worth paying. We're giving you free right. product. That's enough. Or right. you are worth X amount of dollars, but not this. That just didn't feel good to me. And so I had to make that decision for myself of what my own value was. So at what point, Sarah, did you realize this is really taking a toll on me? This isn't working for me anymore. I would say even as, as I started to become noticed by big brands in about 2009 or so, I started to be recognized by larger brands, especially in the plus size community like Lane Bryant, Mm -hmm. who wanted to work with me. And that felt great. But it also felt terrible, which was so Hmm. confusing. (laughs) Um, But I would say almost immediately, like as soon as I started having those big wins and those highs, I was also at the same time feeling that uncertainty of, oh, is this where I want to be getting my validation? And is this really where I want to be putting my self-esteem in the hands of brands and people that I don't know and I can't I can't control if people like me or yeah. one day I'm I'm at the top and the next day I probably won't be so almost immediately I would say Elizabeth, all I keep thinking of is like, oh gosh, welcome to media. I know, I know, Sarah. You know, I'm like, this there's is a, my a, life. A, yeah, it, I yeah. think you know, for for radio and television, there's a there's a little bit of you live and die by your ratings, and so there's yeah. there is that element of of judgment, which you when you sign up to do it, you're signing up for that, and that's what I think is really interesting. Is you had, I think, the emotional and sort of intellectual maturity to sort of unravel, do I want this or not? Yeah. And I think that's, to me, is how it relates back to the nest and our families, is you are doing it in terms of partnerships with brands and all of that. But I think in a very, you know, in a much sort of, in a smaller way, if you just look at a teenager who's trying to, in a way now, develop their own brand on Instagram, mm-hmm. that, that that, that, and I mean, just even if you're just developing your own brand within your friend circle? Because I think anytime you start putting stuff out about going out or whatever you're going to do, I think that's the tricky thing for parenting now is how do you talk to your kids about protecting their own self-esteem and how they're going to put things out in the world? I think if you're going to have a career in media, you're a little bit older, you're a little bit tougher, but it's still hard when the when you know when people come at you and criticize you that's still difficult i just that's my worry about influencers and social media in general for young children is who do one who do i want coming into my home and affecting my children but then the reverse of that is how how can i help my child put their self out there without them harming themselves and their self esteem that's sort of a long ramble about what i worry about for kids i, think I really that's do fair. well and it's almost impossible to not i mean you have to be always looking at yourself and where your worth comes from i mean yeah. i just think and when i look at life in media and working in this field 
there are so many messages coming at you about yourself all the time. I mean, sometimes I just cried in the car this morning on my way in about about <laughs> feeling overwhelmed responding publicly to a message that I got that we'll talk about in a later podcast. But I, I just start to feel so exhausted by how many messages about me are coming back at me. Does that make yeah. sense? Is it's, that like, yeah, but yeah. I think no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And I, I think that to take that one step further, I think that my concern for young people and, and anybody who's interacting on social media is that, you know, for folks like the two of you who made the decision of, I want to pursue a career in media. Like yeah. you made that decision. Yeah. yeah. We went to school um, for it. We yeah. trained, we had exactly. internships. I mean, there was, <laughs> yeah. there's a long road of preparation that <laughs> there goes was into a ramp it. up. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But for folks who decided to join Instagram and then suddenly have 5,000, 10,000 followers, they have now also made a career in media and they didn't mm. make that, they didn't make the same conscious yeah. decision that you did at the same level that you did. And mm -hmm. so they are not as equipped as you are. I know that I was not as equipped as you probably were because I, I started out just writing out blogs about cool beauty products that I loved because <laughs> I wanted to share that information. And then mm. it turned into something that I didn't anticipate. And then I felt kind of guilty for not being as enthusiastic and prepared to make the most of it as I felt like I should be. And like, I felt like people looked at me as though, Hey, you should really maximize this. Why aren't you harnessing this and doing something with it? I, I just think that there's a really interesting uh, dichotomy between the po folks who pursue a career in media with intention and then everybody else who gets on social media and finds themselves in that position. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And the idea of yourself as a brand to me is so yeah. dangerous. And, yep. you know, I've been in meetings, many meetings, where I've sat with producers and bosses and consultants, and we are literally writing out on a board what my brand is. Yep. And they're doing that. And how I how I sort of cope with that is is all about boundaries. And because I, I have a clear understanding that in this building, I am certainly a person, I'm a, I'm a human being, but I am a commodity. So I am a commodity in the building, which means I am something that is bought and sold, right? And that that's yeah. the truth of the matter. You're a product. I'm a product. And, and so I have to separate myself from that. But at the same time, I get so uncomfortable with the idea of even saying or thinking about what my brand is, because then I believe that you're on this dangerous, slippery slope of once you've created a brand for yourself, then you are trying to live your life to live up to that brand instead of you living your life. And then your brand just sort of is what you are. People will say, they'll say in meetings, Elizabeth, part of Elizabeth's brand, she's an urban farmer. I don't have chickens in my backyard to live up to my brand of being an urban farmer. I just have chickens in my backyard, backyard. because I like having chickens in my backyard. <laughs> but I think it's so easy and it can be such a slippery slope of once you've created that brand for yourself. And Sarah, I don't know if you agree with this, but once you've created like you, you created this, I'm a plus size fashion and beauty blogger. And then it's like, now I have to live up to that wherever I am. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. When I first started blogging, I didn't show myself because it didn't really occur to me that anybody would want to see pictures of what I was wearing. I would just kind of show photos of outfits that I thought were interesting. When I started working with brands that wanted to dress me, I realized, oh, okay, they want me to show pictures of myself online. 
So I will do that. Of course, I had an evolution. I was 27, 28 at the time. I'm now 40. My body has changed. I certainly went through periods of time where I lost weight, gained weight, and it was always on my mind of, well, how is this going to look on to these brands or yeah. online? And that's not a place that I want to live. I want to look how I look. And I've always been comfortable with myself. Whatever I look like is fine with me. And I never liked having that in the back of my head of, ooh, what is someone outside of me in my head going to think about this? But but look at how you two are talking about this. This is what I would call high order thinking. You're Ooh, that sounds thinking, very fancy. Ooh, it's very very fancy. <laughs> Sarah, hold your head up high, shoulders back. <laughs> high order thinking. High order thinking this morning because you're able to un. You're able to take apart the puzzle of what's going on in your life. You're able to separate out. Yes, I'm an urban farmer. Yes, that's what I do, but that's I that that can be a part of my brand. I mean, you're sorting through all of those things. Yeah. Again, I go back to this is what worries me for a 13-year-old. Yes, 100%. Who does not have that ability to untangle the difference between seeming and being. And I, I was so struck. That's I think really I good, Marjorie. About, That's like, I, so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that was really good to untangle yeah. the difference between seeming and being. And I steal part of that from Mike Nichols, the director, Mike Nichols. Well, and I'll tell you what's interesting is I was watching a documentary on Richard Burton, and I think this goes back very much to what we're all talking about. And Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor in the 50s and 60s, whatever decade it was, were the couple. They were the original Brangelina. I mean, they were like, they were everywhere. They were every tab, not, there weren't tabloids in those days, but they, they were always a part of sort of the gossip columns and they were big personalities. And so in this documentary, the documentarian went and talked to Mike Nichols, who was, who directed them in the movie, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And, I thought this was so, so telling of our time now. So Mike Nichols is talking about this fabulous, famous couple in the 1960s. And he said of Richard Burton, who at the time had become a raging alcoholic, Richard Burton was an intellectual. He loved to read. He was sort of quiet by nature, but he'd been thrown into the spotlight. And Mike Nichols said he lost himself when his life became more about seeming than being. Yes. And I think that's where people get pushed in social is suddenly you're at a restaurant. You've got to heighten the experience because you're going to take a picture of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So now you're living to seem. Yes. Not just to be. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. And I yep. think it's dangerous. That's that, that resonates with me personally so, so much, Marjorie. When I when I made the decision to leave Twin Cities Live, it, it really was because I couldn't see who I was if I wasn't mm. the girl who was on TV. Everybody in my family got a charge out of the fact that they knew someone who was on TV. Aww. People in my community, <laughs> people at the local drugstore or Ulta loved seeing me there. And I lost myself in that. And when I left, I felt a sense of I grieved like who I was. If I yep. wasn't that person and I really couldn't come back until I didn't have that in me anymore until I was like, I know exactly who I am and I'm OK whether I'm on TV or I'm not. I oh, love that. Really well, healthy. that is yeah. so, so healthy, especially yes. coming from a person who works in TV. That is so, so good. And 
And Sarah, from the Twin Cities Live perspective, you know, I remember when you said, and you weren't super clear about, you just said it was like, this is what I'm doing for me. I'm just going in a different direction. And we obviously respect you and respected that. But I do think it's such a great example of when you are a person who is authentic to who you are, the opportunities will be there that you don't have to be so petrified of not continuing with something or doing something if it's not working for you, that if you are a person who is true to themselves, that then it's always there. Because we always would say, then for years later, we would say, we need another Sarah Bartlett. We need another (laughs) Sarah Bartlett. And we would say, like, how do we find another Sarah Bartlett? Because Sarah's perspective is so good. And you're so good on television. And you are very fun to watch. And you're very fun to do TV with. I mean, Sarah is so quick, like quick on the draw and just so good. And we kept saying that. And then finally on an Instagram post that Sarah, you'd posted about something else. And I think I wrote like, come back to us. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Please be our Sarah Bartlett. (laughs) And like, we don't need another Sarah Bartlett. We need Sarah Bartlett. So can you come back to us? And then, and then you did. And it's been just as great, if not better than it was before. And I love knowing that you did that on your own terms and that because we loved you so much and you were so great and true to yourself that the the door was always open for you, Sarah. I mean, it just was always open. And now I hope that you are enjoying the exposure and the experience in a totally different way, which it seems like you are. Oh, I absolutely am. Yeah, I absolutely am. I'm able to show up and have fun and do the parts that I love and just kind of leave the rest of it behind. And I hope that translates in like our interactions and on TV. And I'm I'm so appreciative. And you're right. You know, if you are putting yourself out and doing what you need to do for yourself, I think that everybody can trust that the right opportunities in the world will come around. Yeah, I think that's really true. You know, as we've been talking about this, and especially, Marjorie, as you've been bringing up sort of the impact on young people. I just finished listening. I talked about that I was listening to Jessica Simpson's book, yes. Open Book. And oh. um, have you guys listened to it yet, Sarah? Have you or have you read no, it? No, I want to. It's yeah, on my list. It's worth yeah. listening to on Audible because she narrates it. And and I really enjoyed kind of hearing her voice talk about it. And Sarah and I are about the same age and Jessica Simpson is about the same age as us. And right. so I think we kind of grew up seeing her and listening to her book and the really, frankly, dysfunctional relationship that she has had with herself, with her family, because she became a brand and because she was in recording label meetings where they were telling her, this is what you have to be. This is how we're going to package you to sell you, right? So I understand that I'm a commodity in my business, but I'm also 38 years old and I've been doing this for a long time. And I was not a commodity when I was, even in my early TV days, I wasn't when I was, when I was working in news, I was a journalist. And what you hear from her is how insanely damaging that was to her. And when you think about all of those girls, Britney Spears, Jessica Simpson, Christina Aguilera, Mandy Moore, those girls who were all packaged into something and sold. Mm -hmm. And then the effects that that had on them, that is exactly what's happening when you have really young people becoming influencers. It's the same thing. It's it's, the same thing. And so now you not only have just like five or 10 pop stars in the country trying to do this, you have 
thousands of kids doing this to themselves. Well, and it's the kids who, kids that are starting to make money and they're becoming the family business. Big and problem. That, yeah. I, I think that's a problem. But I mean, I think that's, that's the extreme. Sort of the middle ground is where most young families are living. I mean, how could I tell my 13-year-old girl that she can't be on Instagram? I mean, you can because you're the parent, but that's a that's a much trickier discussion because you're really taking them away from much of what their friends are doing and and something that could be really fun and could be a good experience, but on a dime can switch and be devastating. And be totally devastating. Sarah, I wonder yeah. from your perspective, how do you think that we can consume influencer culture and stay in a healthy space about it? Because, you know, not everybody listening is going to be like you or me who kind of lives as in this influencer culture a little bit more, but we're all consuming it. How do you consume it and keep that healthy self (laughs) as you're consuming it? Yeah. So I think that for me, I try to keep in mind that I am a consumer. I am consuming products. Nothing that we see on Instagram, on Twitter, online, anywhere is just your friend sharing something. It's all something that's being sold to us in some way. Right. Whatever the intention is, you know, whether it is my mom telling me about some essential oils that she loves or it's (laughs) somebody that I really enjoy seeing their content on Instagram, there's all a reason behind it. So if I'm making that decision of I'm consuming something and I'm being intentional about it, that puts me more in control. Yeah. And then I think I think that we are seeing a shift in the influencers that are out there from trying to show the perfect fake world to this is what reality looks like. You know, I think that we are seeing brands are seeing that we're all we're all landing a little bit more with real people, yeah. people that look like us, people whose lives are a little bit more like us, and they're investing in them. So we're seeing, again, more diversity of those influencers who are showing up in our feeds. I think that's a good thing. So I think keeping in mind that we are consumers making decisions about what we want to consume. Those are the things that for me, and then also setting up your own boundaries. So making sure that you are checking out of of your social media. I take everything off of my phone once a month for a week. You do, Sarah. I do. Hmm, That's good. And and the the world does not end. It's all still there. (laughs) Just more of it. Just more of it. I mean, you can always get on Instagram and see pictures of style bloggers leaning against a brick wall, looking away from the camera with their hair Uh, covering half of their face. Sarah, there's that. It's always there. there. Ready for you. (laughs) That is good, though. Uh, It's good to have it. It is the control. And I think I think so much in life is when people feel unsettled and nervous is when they feel out of control. And so when you're looking at what you're consuming and you're setting up healthier boundaries and even, I mean, I don't know, Sarah, I'm liking your idea. Like I'm even liking the idea of saying, okay, there's just certain spaces where I don't look at Instagram or Facebook. Like my bedroom should be off limits for those things. Right. That's interesting. That's interesting. You know, I bet you could really get creative if you like hung out and talked with your girlfriends about like ideas of what you, how could you take some intentional breaks so it doesn't become this mindless scroll. I mean, I'll find myself working on an email on my phone and if I can't think of like the next two lines I want to say in the email, I just go to Instagram and open it like a lunatic. It's a a little bit addictive. I lost two hours yesterday. (laughs) No. Just like, I was like, what the hell? 
Yeah. So, yeah, the search, just hitting search in, like, Instagram and just, like, sussing around a little bit, it was two hours later. I know. That but is I, what happens. But it was enjoyable. Yeah. That was the thing. I did have a good time. Yeah. If you look at it, like... I think if you sort of look back to your magazine days, like I yeah. loved reading magazines yeah. and I love that we're going to uh, go back to magazines because yep. Sarah brought up Sassy at the beginning of the podcast, which yes. I think is great. But I think about cozying up with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and having my stack of magazines ready to go and then spending an hour looking through them. And if you sort of look at your social media consumption the same way. Yep. This is just a magazine, some which has ads in it, oh, which has editorial content, which has some good articles, some bad articles. Yeah, it's the yep. September it's the September issue of Vogue. Yes, a and thousand then, pages and you're just flipping through it. And you're it's just fantastic. intentional about saying yeah. this is the time that I'm going to use to do it, I think you can end up with a lot healthier of a relationship with it than if it becomes anything that becomes I mean, what do we talk about so much on this podcast is all about living with intention. And so anything that becomes mindless is not good. It's just not good. Mm, I'm having trouble with that statement. (laughs) (laughs) That's why this podcast is a journey and not an end point. (laughs) I love it. Sarah, thank you so much. What a joy to talk to you. Sarah, Uh, Sarah, her great website is sarahbartlett.net and we'll link it up in the show notes for you and you can check it out and you can see the really good freeze frames that Sarah posts of Steve, my co-host, me and her on set, which I was scrolling through them last night. And I was like, Sarah's really good at picking these screen grabs. Oh, all look. three of us generally have some sort of funny facial expression. And trust me when I say that whenever Sarah is on TV with us, it's never too perfect. It's just really enjoyable. So oh, that's great. There you go. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Take Thanks, care. Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> oh, if, man. She's good, good, good. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts from Misty. M0143. She writes, love, love, love this podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Misty. Very good. <laughs> How refreshing to have a podcast where women are real moms slash wives and not some fake Instagrammy facade. Yes. This is my fave podcast, and I tell all my mom friends to listen because it's so relatable. Keep up the fun chats, ladies. Thank we are you. trying. So good. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest or go to besttothenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League.
Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.